0: Now you might wonder where I'm coming from this morning because although I'm going to be talking about uh, shepherds and uh, wise men I'm going to begin in the Old Testament and I'm going to give you a reading and you might say, well what's that got to do with Christmas? Well really nothing but uh, (laughs) bear with me and you'll see where we're coming from. And I'm going to read to you from the second book of Chronicles and uh, from chapter 6 and verse 16. Let me just set the scene for you. <clears throat> it had taken over seven years to build. Seven years to build this temple. It's estimated that it costs something like in today's money of something like 30 billion pounds to build. And they get this estimate from the details that are given in the Old Testament about the temple of Solomon which was first of all a vision of David and God promised David that he could build the temple and God would dwell within that temple now you think about it, seven years to build they didn't have any dumper trucks they didn't have uh, excavators they just had their hands and they built this massive temple it would bedecked with gold, silver, jewels, everything you could imagine. And it took all this time to build. <clears throat> it was a great stress upon the nation at that time, the finances of it, I'm sure. But it all came to this point. The temple now was built. And the time came for the moment of dedication of the temple. Solomon stood on a platform. He didn't have any microphone like I've got this morning and how he got to be heard by so many people I don't know, but probably the message was passed along as he spoke. But Solomon got up to speak and then he got up to pray. Now bear in mind the responsibility that came upon him. All this money, billions of pounds in today's money, seven years of building, building, God had promised that he would come and dwell within that temple. This is Solomon's prayer of dedication, or part of it. Verse 16 from 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Now, Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promise you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a man to sit before me on your throne of Israel. If only your sons are careful in all they do to walk before me according to my law, as you have done, and O Lord God of Israel, let the word that you promised to your safe servant David come true. But will God really dwell on earth with men? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple... That I have built. Yet give careful attention to your servant's prayer <clears throat> and plea for mercy. And O oh Lord my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. May your eyes be open to the temple day and night, this place on which you have said you would put your name. Have you ever used these two little words, what if, what if? Maybe you've planned something for the future, maybe for Christmas. If you've got all your plans set out, suddenly a little bit of doubt comes in. And you say, ah, but what if? What if this would happen? What if that would happen? What if? What if? And in a sense, that is what Solomon was saying in his prayer. As he's praying to the Lord and he's lifted up his eyes to God, the moment of the temple being dedicated into God's care, and he, he prays this prayer and then he has to say these words. But what if well he doesn't use the actual word not in this scripture anyway, but will God really dwell on earth with men? What a question, you see. It's a great moment in the history of God's people, a great, one, I would say, one of the greatest moments in the Old Testament and in the Bible, this moment of dedication of the temple when this great question is asked, will God really dwell on earth with men? Or to put it in another phrase, what if God doesn't fulfill his promise? What if that should happen? There was such a prayer to promise at that moment. What if? But fortunately, we know that after the dedication, we have the words, well, more than one word, coming in the later verses. For instance, the first verse of chapter 7. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. There was the prayer, <clears throat> there was the doubt, there was the question, but there was the glory. There was the glory. After all that had taken place, God fulfilled his promise to his people. And it's a moment which you can look forward from that time where God makes promises to his people and he keeps them. It's, it's been echoed through this series about promises all over again, that God keeps his promises. But of course, you know, there's another big issue about promises, isn't there? God is the giver of the promises. But there's another side to it as well. What about the recipients of the promise? God gives, but how do we receive the promise? The natural thing to do when people promise Perhaps us have a moment of doubt whether they can be fulfilled. You know, people make promises all the time. And it all depends who's making that promise, whether you rely upon it or not. Maybe somebody has borrowed a hundred pounds off you and they say, I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back. And you think to yourself, now, now. Because you could pay me back, you wouldn't be borrowing it. You know. You can't rely upon that particular permis, promise. And people make promises, all kinds of promises, day in, day, week in, week, year in, year People are making promises all the time. And some you can accept and some you don't. It all depends on the character and the nature of the person who's making the promise. God is almighty, God is all powerful, God is reliable. And you know we can rely upon him. <clears throat> there is a, a hymn which we'll, I, I, I suppose many of you sing these days. It's only, it only had two little verses and it. it's called Jesus the first and the last. And one, one of the verses simply says this. We praise you for all that is past and we trust you for all that's to come. And isn't that it? If we trust people... Because we rely upon them for what is past, we can rely upon them for what's to come. It can be used on a personal level. You rely upon certain people because you can trust them. You can praise them. You can say, well, look, they've proved themselves in the past, so therefore I can trust them now. Is that true of you and I in our relationship with God that we have proved in our own personal lives and the lives of others around us that he is true and he fulfills his promises that we can say, yes, we've proved you in the past, God, and so now we can truly rely upon you in the future. That is the way our God has happened. You know, through the ages, God has made promise after promise to his people, and God has always fulfilled it. Jesus promised he would send his son into this world. Well, you know, for many, many years, nothing happened. You know, people questioned, you know, would this happen? Will God really dwell on earth with men? He dwelled on earth in his temple, but this was something different. He promised his son into the world through, through the prophets, through Pisai, through Micah and... Zephaniah, Zachariah, these people all prophesied God's promise to his people. But where? Where was it happening? And then it happened in a most unlikely place, in the most likely way, witnessed by the most unlikely people. God fulfilled that promise and he came into this world. His promise was revealed. <clears throat> Jesus also promised to his disciples that he would die upon a cross, that he would be victimized, that he would be persecuted, but then he would be nailed upon a cross. And you remember how the disciples reacted when Jesus said that, that it was going to happen? It was a promise, but not the kind of promise they wanted. This was the wrong kind of promise. But it was a promise nevertheless, and it happened. It took place. And Jesus, during his ministry, he promised that when he left them, he wouldn't leave left them desolate, but he would send another comforter, a counsellor, the Holy Spirit, who he said, not only will he be with you, he will be in you. <clears throat> How unlikely could that be? I wonder what the disciples really made of that promise. <clears throat> it, it must have been so vague and so weird to them. The Holy Spirit, what was the Holy Spirit that he was speaking of. Not God just not only with us, but also dwelling within us. What kind of promise was this? But in Acts chapter 2, we read how it happened. How tongues of fire and the great wind filled the place, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And God has gone on from there onwards and onwards, where people are filled with the Holy Spirit. The divine presence that is unseen but is there. What did they make of that promise? Did they take it as a promise? But it was fulfilled in the Acts 2. And then Jesus promised that he would ascend. He said to Mary in the garden, he said, don't touch me because I must go to my father. The ascension. What was that all about? The resurrection and then the ascension? Did they really believe about the resurrection? Jesus spoke about it often often enough, as with his ascension. They heard it over and over again, and it tells us in the scriptures that the disciples didn't understand or believe that Jesus was rise from the dead. But he did. It happened. The tomb was opened. Jesus arose and is with us even today. The resurrection, it took place and so did the ascension. And you know, it's been echoed over and over again. Jesus will come again because it's his promise that it will happen. I know last week when Len was closing the service, he quoted those words from Acts chapter 1 when the disciples and all that are gathered around saw Jesus going up into heaven, the ascension. And Len reminded us of that promise. He said that the angel said to them, why do you stand gazing into heaven? The same Jesus which you have seen go up into heaven shall return in the same manner. How will Jesus return? He will return the same way as he went. Every eye will see him and he will come down from heaven. How unlikely is that? Do you ever doubt that? Do you ever realize it? Because we live our lives from day to day like perhaps they lived in the early days when they were waiting for the coming Christ. Well, <clears throat> nothing's happened yet. Nothing's happening. But it's happening all the while in reality beyond what we can see or understand that Christ is coming again. And I've heard many a preacher say in the past, you know, we should live every day as though Christ is coming on that day because when he comes, it will be so unexpected when we least look for it. These are the things that are happening because that is God's promises. We talk about angels and wise men and shepherds. They were wonderful occurrences, weren't they, that first Christmas? Shepherds in a field. You know, I think if it had happened today, what they saw, we would think about aliens and UFOs and such like. When the heavens were filled with a great light and they became terrified by what was happening around them. These were shepherds. They were ordinary people. And a promise that had been given for so long, a was given, not just to the great and the wise, but it was given to everybody of all walks of life. Shepherds, in many ways, were considered rather the lowest of the low in those days in, in, the, in Israel. People of no repute. It was just a job that they did. They were in fields. I mean, what i task just to look after dumb animals, unresponsive animals in many respects, But to them came the glory of the Lord when they least expected it. Just doing their ordinary job, whatever your job is, whatever you're doing from day to day, whether it's in education, whether it's in health or whatever industry it may be, your ordinary job, you're just doing things day by day. Do you ever think that suddenly in the midst of that, the glory of the Lord could come down? to be honest I don't, I don't think about it often enough it's not constantly there, but if we are aware of such a glorious happening, one day it will occur shepherds in a field, suddenly saw angels and heard angels sing and speaking to them, and they were so thrilled and so excited, that they rushed to the place where they were indicated, where the the glory of the Lord shone, and they came to that stable and worshipped the Lord. I like the little bit where it says, And they were filled with great joy. You know, when people seek the Lord and the Lord seeks them, great joy happens. It's an experience of great joy to come and understand that the Lord has done a great thing in our midst. It was a sudden revelation but there was fear but suddenly that fear was turned to great joy you <clears throat> know those who go to find the lord and those who seek the lord the promise is that they will be filled with great joy maybe you can go back to your conversion when you first saw the lord did it not fill you with great joy and exaltation i know it did for me when my life was transformed and that's what happened when people find the Lord, it's accompanied with great joy. That was for the shepherds, ordinary folk. And it indicated, you know, to the whole world at that time that Jesus had come, the Christ had come for everybody, for everybody. Not just for religious leaders like the Pharisees and the Sad- Sadducees, not for the wise and the learned. Not for kings and priests, but for everybody, from the highest to the lowest. But these shepherds represented the Lord coming into their presence. And they saw him and had great fear, which was turned indeed to great joy. And then you have the other extreme, if you have wise men coming from the east. There's a lot of myths around that, isn't there, you know? I mean, from the east. How far was the east? I mean, <laughs> you could go on and on, can't you? How far was the east? Well, we—they think they came from Iran, but nobody really knows for sure. That was, was Persia. And of course, there's nowhere in Scripture it says there were kings. Neither does it say in Scripture there were three of them. There are things which we have put together, conjectured on our mind. Here we say. Well, there was three of them because there were three gifts. But there could have been 20 of them with three gifts. <laughs> you know, were the kings? Unlikely. The scripture says they were magi, they were wise men, they were people, astronomers who studied the stars. They, they could look at the stars and, and read the stars like a book. And as soon as there was something different there, it registered. And there was something different in the heavens which registered in their mind. That's how sometimes God comes to us, you know. It isn't always through the voice of the prophet, like it happens so often, but sometimes God revelation comes in another way. It's not always through the spoken word. It's some experience that we may have in our life or in the life of others that suddenly sort of sparks something you know, when I, I came to be a Christian, I got very little in the way of church experience. They often say, well, I was a regular church girl, because I went three times a year. I always went on Christmas Day, and I always went on Ascension Day, because my aunt, she was a devout Christian, she always took me to Ascension Day service. So I went then, oh, and of course I went to Easter as well, I had to go there. There were my three times a year, so I was a regular church schooler. But it, isn't, it wasn't that which brought me to Christ. Although perhaps it had something in the back, back of my mind. But it was because somebody preached and they sent a message into my, my heart and my mind. I sat in the church one day and I was, I've told this testimony before. I, I first of all started going to the youth club at the church. Uh, a friend of mine was going, and he asked me to come along, so I went along. And I, I felt a little bit of guilt about it that I was going to the youth club and benefiting from it, but I wasn't going to church services. So I thought perhaps I ought to go. So i would go occasionally. now. I went along to church. And I remember once, one Sunday, the minister said this. He says, if anybody wants to know Christ as a person, as a saviour, it can happen and it can happen to you. And I remember going away with that registered in my mind and I wanted it but I didn't understand it. I didn't really believe it. And then they had a, a Christian mission for a week. I think it was called a Christian Endeavor. It used to be a movement called the Christian Endeavor many years ago and this was a kind of rally, evangelical rally. And that same minister was preaching that particular night Now, being a devout Christian, as I wanted to be, I sat on the back row of the church. I sat right in the corner, right at the very back. Remember, they they all had pews. They didn't have chairs in them days. And I sat right up the corner, and to put it politely, sitting on the outside of me were three rather large ladies. And towards the end of the service, the appeal was made for people to come forward. And I wanted to go, but then a comforting thought came to me. I can't go because I can't get out. I looked a lot No, there was no way I could get past these three ladies. They were all equally of a large size. And, you know, I saw young people going forward to the front of that service. In fact, if my memory serves me right, there were 19 that went forward that night, mainly all young people that were going forward. And there I sat, stuck at the corner. I couldn't get out. And, you know, to this day, if you would ask me how I got out, I don't know. I don't remember whether the women got out, and moved out of the way. I, I, I just couldn't tell you. I got no record. My mind was so confused at that moment. I, I got up. And I must have found my way past them and I found myself leaning at the front with these other young people. I wasn't converted that night. No, I wasn't converted that night, but it was a step in the right direction. And somewhere along over the next few weeks, the reality came into my life. God's revelation and his promise was filled in me. You know, it says in it, the word says that he that seek him will find him, you know. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And that's what I did that particular night. I was seeking the Lord and I found... And that's sometimes how God's revelation comes to us. That's how it came to the wise men. It wasn't so much the word that was spoken to them, but the star, the particular star in the heaven registered with them that there was something special, there was something divine, something to be sought after. And they that seek the Lord they find joy, don't they? That's the great experience of the wise men and those. Like as it was right back when Solomon was offering that prayer and he was saying to his mind, what if, will God really come and dwell on earth with men? Will God really come and live in your life, my life? Is that a reality or is it a religion? My friend, it's a reality. God's promise being fulfilled in you. Isn't that a wonderful thing that God's promises are fulfilled to the world, to the universe, but it's fulfilled in you as an individual. God has made his promise and his promises are always fulfilled. Yes, we... Praise him for all that is past. And on the evidence of the past, we can trust him for all that's to come. Amen.